How are you today? Also, I heard good, fine, okay. It was going, I don't, I'm, I'm great. It's okay, you can feel however you need to feel or want to feel this morning. I am no judge of uh, your uh, either emotional state or just state in life. That, that is all, as, as I think is appropriate for the Psalms that we're going through this morning. Um, we are in the last week of our series called Real Talk as we've been studying through uh, Psalms that highlight uh, the, the three different uh, orientations of Psalms according to Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar. We just ripped him off. Um, but we, we first talked about uh, Psalms of Orientation, uh, which, and, and all of these three, just as a reminder, are the perspective of those of us that are trying to live out faith, uh, faithfulness to God. Uh, orientation uh, Psalms are Psalms where uh, a, an accurate uh, view of life as lived in light of faith is portrayed by the psalmist. Then we have psalms of disorientation, where uh, despite one's faithfulness to God, things seem chaotic, out of whack. You might be experiencing personal struggle, uh, or the people group uh, in terms of Israel in the psalms are experiencing hardship, and often the psalmist is asking, why God, why? Um, And in the one we looked at last week, we even had the psalmist say, why have you forgotten me, God? Because they were in such a state of distress. This week, we're going to turn our attention to a psalm of new orientation. And psalms of new orientation basically occur or are are pointing to uh, God coming through in an unexpected way and, and creating a new posture, a new perspective uh, of life according to the psalmist. And so in order to do that, I want to take you back in time to my childhood. Some of you that know me now at this point are going to roll your eyes at what I'm going to talk about, and it's okay. But I want to take you back to October of 1995. I was at Riverfront Stadium with my mom and my brother. And we were experiencing the Red Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And do you know what happened in that series? The Reds got out the brooms and swept the Dodgers three to nothing in the National League Divisional series. I was only 11. I hadn't been that far removed from age six when the Reds won the World Series. And also in that year, the Bengals won a wild card playoff game. They unfortunately ruined Bo Jackson's career. And that started the Bo Jackson curse. It lasted for a while. But 1995, that, that National League Divisional Series win was the last time a Cincinnati professional sports team won a playoff round or advancement until January of 2022 when the Bengals beat the Raiders in the wild card round on their way to a Super Bowl appearance. 
I got to come here on Super Bowl Sunday and do my trial sermon, and you guys mistakenly voted for me to be here. Just kidding. I'm glad you did. Uh, I don't know if you are, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, But the reason I tell you about that gap in time from 1995 until January of 2022 is growing up outside of that one advancement, me and the rest of my friends and fellow Cincinnati fans got used to doing one thing very frequently. Losing. We did a lot of it. After the Bengals ruined Bo Jackson's career, the Bengals went on one of the worst stretches of sports futility ever until Marvin Lewis came and kind of righted the ship a little bit in 2003. The Reds still have not advanced in the postseason, and they haven't done a whole lot of winning since then, although this year's kind of fun. And the reason I tell you that is that as a, as a fan, as a Cincinnati guy, you get used to losing so much that when things start to appear to be going well, you start to wait for the other shoe to drop. Your team has a lead. Uh-oh. I wonder when the opposing bats are going to light up the scoreboard and we're going to lose. Or, I don't know, you're riding high in the first postseason advancement of Bengals history and Kimo von Allhoffen of the horrible, hideous Pittsburgh Steelers shreds Carson Palmer's knees. Yes, I'm looking right at you. Actually, it was just one knee, but it felt like two because the air went out of the... Anyway. And then that game against the Raiders happened. I actually had done my my final meetup with the staff here. Yes, I came here on my last interview day on the day the Bengals were going to play in the playoffs. Because this was more important to me at the time. But let me assure you that that game was very important. I got home and I turned the TV on and there were two minutes left. And the Raiders were driving. And I don't think God really cares what happens to my sports teams. I really don't. But I'm not going to lie. I prayed out loud. David Carr took the Raiders to the eight-yard line and he dropped back to pass on fourth down. And I was at the edge of my seat. And the Bengals linebacker, Jermaine Pratt, intercepted the pass. And the Bengals won their first playoff game since 1990. Whoa. Do you know what happened the next game? I waited for the other shoe to drop. I got so used to losing that I couldn't in my mind imagine what it was like to keep winning. I was talking to uh, my mentor during this Bengals playoff stretch and we were talking about uh, modes of discipleship. I know you're like, wait, you're going from your dumb sports to discipleship. What are you talking about here? And, and he said something to me. He, 
we were talking about struggles of trying to move the needle and helping disciple people and how to advance that. And I was talking about all the struggles, and he, he goes, you know, he goes, you know, God can do things that you can't. He's like, but you, you got to start expecting to win. And then he goes, you know that quarterback for your, your Bengals team there? Do you want to know why they're winning now and all the other teams didn't? It's because he goes on the field and he expects to win. And that kind of blew my mind. That is new orientation. When you're used to losing all the time, it's hard to expect to win. It's a new perspective. It's a new perspective to watching something frivolous like sports. But when it comes to your faith, when it comes to doing what God has called you to do, when it comes to God doing in your life what he wants to come to fruition or what he wants you to help do in other people's lives, it's hard to have that perspective when you go through life waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's why these psalms, like we're going to look at today, of new orientation, are so difficult to wrap our minds around when we understand their context. Because the psalms, unlike some of us, as I confessed last week, we, we can get kind of stuck in our religious rhythms and putting on shows of piety and saying the right things and prayers and, and looking the right way and feeling the right way. It's like even this morning when I asked you how you were doing, you know, uh, the, the, you know I went, it went from good to fine to uh, meh, okay. And then I heard a great, and it's like we can even do that and be like, well, why aren't they doing okay? You know, they should be doing okay. We're in church today, you know. Well, it's because that's where they are in life. Last week, we looked at Psalms of Disorientation and realized that the people of faith can even experience the struggles and turmoils of life in a way in which they go to God so distraught that they ask God, why have you forgotten me? And when you live life in the real, the ebbs and flows can take us to highs and lows. And when we experience the highs and lows, when we come to the point of realizing just how wonderful God is, despite how difficult and tragic life can be, we are brought to points where we experience a perspective shift, a new orientation. And it reframes the way that we start taking each step moving forward. So the psalm that we're going to look at today is Psalm 149. It is the second to last psalm in the book of Psalms. And we're not given a whole lot of context around the psalm, but it's largely, if you just read it context-free, it sounds like a pretty positive, faithful, awe-inspiring psalm. But as I want to point out, there's going to be a line in this psalm that if we stop and we think about what the line means in the context of God's people and even in the life of the psalmist here, that we realize that this psalm is not only one of new orientation, 
but it's one in which expectations have been shifted. And so we're going to read it together and, and unpack it. And I want to point to a reality that supersedes almost all of Scripture that we should always keep in mind as we walk about life. But first, the psalm. It's in Psalm 149. It starts in verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron, to execute on them the judgment decreed. This is glory for all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. Now you read this psalm and it shouts of praise to God amongst the assembly of the faithful, and yet in the hand is held the two-edged sword ready to execute judgment on the nations around. It's both a call to praise of God, and yet it's got militaristic overtones. And the reason is, is because this psalm is one shouting victory for God overcoming the enemies of the people of God. And when in this culture, in these cultures, in the ancient Near East and, and beyond, militaristic victory was to be, was to lead to praise because the, the enemies have been overcome. The people can experience not only victory, but the freedom that comes with it. Because if you get taken over, there is no freedom in this world. You get ransacked, you get enslaved. It's not a good situation. And yet, I told you there's a line in here that's important. Because we could just read this psalm, as we can often do with any psalms, and gloss over the nuance, the important detail that clues us in to this being a psalm of new perspective and new orientation. And it's the second half line in verse 4. It says, He, the Lord, adorns the humble with victory. The humble with victory. Now, humble here isn't just referring to someone that's got the, uh, oh, shucks, I'm, I'm not that great of a guy kind of humility. It's not a false humility or a sense of being downtrodden or maybe a doormat or a false recognition of one's abilities. No, this is humble in the sense of someone being lesser than or more importantly, a people being lesser than. See, the people of God, Israel, were not exactly the mightiest in all of the land. There were bigger powers around them, especially as 
they moved onward into claiming their promised land and then trying to remain situated in it. In the Old Testament, we have all the stories from the Exodus onward, the Exodus of God saving the people out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. And on their way there, the people ebbed and flowed in their faithfulness and obedience to God. And they were dealt with in various different ways. And they experienced victory and they experienced loss depending upon their faithfulness to God. And the kingship that was established had its pinnacle height and its low point that ended in exile because of the kings and their people's rebellion and lack of faithfulness to God. That is the story that goes up and down throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. But there is a key component that is working always behind the scenes in these stories of military victory for the Israelites. And it's this. It is never the might of the people that brings them victory. It always is the strong arm of God. A repeated refrain in the Old Testament is the refrain to remember that it was the Lord God that led you out of Egypt with his strong arm. The people were enslaved until God did something about it. The people were in a lowly state until God did something about it. The people were on the brink of defeat until God did something about it. The people received victory only when God responded to their faithfulness and when they lacked faithfulness. God allowed them to be defeated, conquered, exiled. But one thing always remained. Without God, the people of Israel were a puny, little, weak, humble, military might. They were never going to conquer any of their enemies without the strength of God leading them. And so when we read this psalm, especially in the context of the highs and lows that we experience in reading the Psalms, we have to pause at why God is being praised by the psalmist here. It's because despite the psalmist and the people's weakness, God has given them victory. He has brought them victory despite their humble state. He has let the faithful exult in glory. And are you catching this? How often we're told about the assembly of the faithful, the faithful exulting in glory. This glory is for all of his faithful ones. This was the plan from the get-go. When you read the story in the book of Joshua, God promises to be at every beck and call for the people unless they stray from him. And then it will result in disaster. But if they were faithful, 
no matter how puny and weak they may be, God will give them victory. In fact, that's what happens in the book of Exodus. And I just want to read a few verses in Exodus 14. They're not going to be on the screen here. I just want you to hear what's written here. If you don't know the story, Moses, uh, by the power of God, and has been leading the people to cross the Red Sea, and God is going to part the sea merely by Moses putting his staff on the ground. It's not the staff, it's God. That's always key here. It's never Moses' words, it's always God. God is responsive to the faithfulness of his people and he's leading his people out of slavery and toward freedom from the Egyptians. And yet, Pharaoh and the Egyptian military is in hot pursuit. And this is what it says in verses 10 through 14 of Exodus 14. It says, As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? I want to pause for a moment. If this were a psalm, this is one of disorientation right here. Things aren't going so well. There's a body of water. They can't get past. Their enemies are approaching. Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt, let us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. And of course, Moses is right in his confidence in God. God provides a way by a miracle. He plunges the Egyptian enemies, and the people are freed to live lives of obedience to God rather than in servitude toward their Egyptian slave masters. Unfortunately, if you keep reading the story, uh, not too many of them get into the promised land because they become disobedient to God. But for now, let's just end that one on a good note here. Here's the point. What God does to free the people emboldens the people to attempt to live faithfully to God. But the reason the story doesn't continue to go well is because all of us, including the Israelites, go through the struggles and the highs and lows of everyday life. We need a meal. We're not feeling well. Our loved one's not doing well. Work is difficult. Lost a job. I'm in a fight with a friend or a family member. I don't see an end to this struggle in sight. 
And every time we go through those moments in the big and small variety, and we don't always see God acting the way we want him to, our faith can wane. Because we ask, why God, why? Why have you forgotten about me and my plight in this moment? And that's why psalms of new orientation are so important and why we have to hear them and take them to heart and live by them. Because the key in the Old Testament story, and it it doesn't change when Jesus comes on the scene, the plan is still the same. God's just made a way that we can't make for ourselves. God desires for us to live faithful lives to him. And he will fight and come to our aid to make sure that we do that. He will equip us. He will guide us. He will strengthen us to do that. Even if we in our own faith are weak and humble. But when we read Psalm 149 and we recognize that the psalmist is shouting and declaring victory for the people despite their humility, the recognition is that it is God's strength and not the might of the people that brings about victory. Our confidence is not a self-confidence. It is a God confidence. And not only that, but our confidence is not that God will make everything in our lives in this broken, sinful world go the way that we want it to all the time. I told you the story of a, an honest prayer that I had in the hospital when my son was born a couple weeks back. But I can assure you, in my years of ministry, there have been many prayers for people that were ill, for relationships to be restored, for God to take hardship away from me that did not get answered the way that I wanted them to. In fact, even my own struggle with anxiety, I have prayed for God to take it. And I still walk on stage even here every single time with a crick in my neck, shaking in my bones, with worries that I can't get out of my head. Now, I want you to hear something, because I'm about to tell you something about confidence in God that I don't want you to miss here. I'm not a big fan of asking or even attempting to answer the why questions we ask. I think they tend to do a disservice to the people asking the question why when we try to give them pat answers that don't really help. Instead, personally, what I've learned to do is I've learned to ask how. Not why God allowed this to happen or why God didn't answer this the way I wanted. 
about how God might help me grow in light of the circumstances. And unfortunately, even asking the how question isn't that helpful. In fact, it's not helpful at all when you're going through the struggle. Because you don't always want to learn a lesson when you're going through the struggle. It is often looking back once you've been through it. When those prayers didn't get answered for those restored relationships, or even when God doesn't take away my at times debilitating anxiety, I have learned that it has forced me to be more faithful to God and more empathetic and caring to people that I am serving. If God just miraculously made me not worried ever, I probably wouldn't have a whole lot of empathy for people that go through other mental health struggles or any other physical ailments for that matter. But when I know the struggles of life, I can look somebody else in the eyes and I can hear their hardship with my own two ears and I can watch them sitting across from me at a table in tears and I can know a little bit about what it's like to know that they don't want to be in the state that they're in in the moment because I didn't want to be in the state that I was but I know that God is still faithful and still loves them and still loves me in spite of it. And so at the end of the day, when we talk about confidence in God, it is not a confidence that means that God is always going to come through with every little personal matter that we bring up to him. Just because I pray for a red bike doesn't mean I'm going to get one. But I can have confidence that when it comes to making me into a faithful disciple of Jesus, that God will come through fighting tooth and nail for me to have victory in that pursuit, no matter how weak my faith might be. Because God brings victory to the humble. And we can have confidence in God even when we lack confidence in ourselves. And that is what a psalm of new orientation is about. It's despite the highs and lows of life, despite what might appear to be God not coming through for us, the reality is, is that when it comes to our pursuit of faithfulness to him, which is ultimately what he wants for each and every one of us. God will look at us in our humble, weak faith state. And he will bring us victory in that. And that is something to shout praise to God for. And that is why the psalmist writes this psalm. Because when God called his people out of Egypt, he desired for them to be a people devoted to him. And he made a way to free them to be devoted to him. I hope you grabbed a communion packet on your way in this morning. Because each Sunday when we come together as a church family, we remember that God made a way for us 
to be free to be faithful to him. And unlike the story in the Exodus, where it was the parting of the Red Sea, it was the story of his son going to a cross, giving his life so that we could be free from the bondage of sin, so that we can put our faith in him, and so that the Holy Spirit can dwell within us to embolden us to the life of faith that we were free to live if we choose daily to walk in step with the Spirit. And even when we misstep, God doesn't lead us off the trail or leave us off the trail, but gives us the way back to walk in step again. God is strong enough to help us to walk in faith as he's called us to. And we remember that when we take communion. So I'm going to ask that you take a moment to pause and to reflect on the might of God, not just with his strong arm in military conquest, but in the obedience of his son to the cross. And after we've taken a moment to reflect, we will take communion together as one church family. invite you to take and eat of this bread. This is his body which is given for us. And I invite you to take and drink from this cup. This is his blood which is poured out for us. Please join me in prayer. Dear Lord God, I thank you for um being able to hear your word in the Psalms, to get a glimpse into uh, your ancient people who experienced the highs and lows of life, experienced them differently than we do, but experienced highs and lows as we do, and that we not only can uh, understand and embrace what real relationship with you looks like that you desire us to come to you in the highs and lows and that you promise to remain with us in our pursuit of faithfulness to you 
And God, I pray that uh, you will help us to embrace that pursuit daily by the power of your spirit and help us to take this upside down new perspective that even the losers win sometimes and that the humble gain victory not because of our might or our own strength or our own ability but because of your power and help us to remain confident in you no matter what. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.